Genesis chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, male and his mate, and a, pair of, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. And seven pairs of birds, of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, keep, uh, to keep them, uh, to keep their offspring alive, excuse me, on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain upon the earth, Forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds of the air and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah. And God had commanded, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. And in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons, with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered Male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth, and the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth, and the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, and all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animal and creeping things and birds of the heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth a hundred and fifty days. Amen. So here we have the seventh 
chapter, and the seventh chapter has quite a few things in here that I want to get to, but the first thing that I want to note is how the sixth chapter ended, okay? The sixth chapter ends with this phrase that we talked about. Remember this? Verse 22 of chapter 6, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him to do. This is a phrase that we're going to see time and again in chapter 7. It happens over and over. And the King James, it really stands out because the emphasis is put on Noah did all that God commanded him to do. And everything that happens, you'll see, is because God is at work in Noah's life and commanding Noah's steps. Amen. And we'll see that it's not any of it happened outside of what God said. Okay. This is very important for us to understand that God is sovereign, yet man is still culpable to obey the command of God. And if we want to live lives pleasing to God, it is going to come from us being obedient to what God says. Amen. This is definitely a principle that we need to apply. Amen. So, starting at verse 1, it's Noah has already done everything that God commanded him to do, right? He's built the ark exactly the way God wants him to, right? And we'll notice that God then speaks to Noah, okay? We don't have any recollection that God has spoken to Noah after he told Noah, build the boat. We don't have any uh, biblical evidence to say that God and him carried on a daily conversation, okay? Notice how God speaks to him. I want you to notice the phrasing. And then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Notice that he didn't say, because we've spent so much time together, Noah, I know that you're righteous in all the earth. So what we see here is although God does speak to Noah, it's not a conversation that's happening every day. Amen. Otherwise, he would have been like, you know, I've seen you over the last 25 years. Me and you've been really spending time together. And I know that you're a righteous man. He didn't say anything like that. He said, I've seen that you're a righteous man. That means God is observing Noah's life apart from really communicating. Him, okay, so what we see in chapter six is that God tells Noah, build this, build it this way. Could there be more information that's not shared here about how it's supposed to be built? Certainly, okay. But what I can tell you is once God told him to build it and how to build it, it does not look like God just sat there and watched over his shoulder and kept telling him little things to do here and little things to do there. Because God didn't operate that way anywhere in the Old Testament. You don't find anybody that just constantly walked around talking to God and God talking back to them. What you find is even the prophets will get an occasional word from God and then they will have to go deliver said word without any other word from God, right? Even Jeremiah, who, in my opinion, probably talked to God more than anybody else or had God talk to him, Jeremiah's was all occasional and it happened on certain occasions for certain events, but it wasn't something that Jeremiah just walked around 
like we have people today, you know, God told me this for you, and God told me that for you, and, you know, God told me this about my hamster, and God told me that about my, no, no, what we see is the reality, just like you, now, how many of you felt like when Noah just gets up and goes in the ark and that's that but you gotta realize that these animals have just there's an estimate out there of how many animals it could have possibly been okay and it ranges from like 16,000 animals to a much greater number okay now either way 16,000 animals that have to be put in specific places far enough away from you. Because look, okay, I'm just being honest. You're not going to put lions right next to gazelles, okay? Or you're going to not have any gazelles when the trip's done, okay? <laughs> you got to, each one's got to go to its spot, okay? So we're, now, I know God sent all the animals, okay? And notice that it says he brought them in two by two, male and female. So what he was doing was bringing in two cats at a time, male and female, right? Two dogs at a time, male and female. Now, and then he got to the seven clean animals that he had to bring in also, right? So we have seven cows, seven sheep, seven goats, right? All the clean ones. And you can keep naming the clean animals if you want. I'm not going to. But... This was a process, okay? And I'll show you why I say that here in a few minutes. It's gonna be very relevant. Uh, the, the third thing I notice is that God says, I've seen that you are righteous. Now, this brings up a question. How did God determine Noah was righteous? It's a big question, right? Remember, there's no law, right? Abraham, what? Believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness, right? So how is Noah considered righteous? Now, first of all, heathen people of the world don't care anything about God, right? So they're not apt to listen to God at all, right? Notice that God told him to build the ark. God, Noah found favor with God, right? God said at the beginning that, uh, well, if we go back to uh, chapter 6 real quick, I want to, uh, but, verse 8, but Noah found favor in God's, or in the Lord's eyes, right? These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now, all of these things are being written uh, about Noah before we actually meet Noah. So the person writing them already has an understanding of what it is that made Noah righteous. Okay? Now I want you to notice that then God tells Noah, hey, I'm sending a flood. 
And what does Noah do? He listened, he believed the word of God, right? He believed the word of God that came to him, and it produced action. This is where we get the term, faith without works is dead, right? How do we know Noah believed God? Because Noah had the fruit of obedience. It's how we know he believed God. Now, he was declared righteous before he actually did the act, right? But that's because God knew Noah believed, right? It's the only thing that's going to separate Noah from the rest of these people is that he believed God. Faith. Period. What separates believers and unbelievers? Faith. Right? What separates the regenerate and the unregenerate? Belief. Okay? Now we can get into a big semantical debate about where the belief came from, or we can just acknowledge that the faith was there. Amen? I don't want to get into semantics about, oh, God put the faith there. Well, duh, okay, well, we'll, we can get into that if we want, but the reality is Noah believed God, and the proof that he believed God is that he built an ark. (laughs) Amen? If he didn't believe God, he would not have built an ark. He would have just sat there with the rest of the crew and done whatever he wanted to do. But because he believed, he built the ark. Amen? So my question, the reason I'm asking this is, how, did, how, how was Noah counted righteousness? It's the same way Abraham was counted righteous. It's the same way you're counted righteous by faith. Amen. This is a theme throughout all of scripture. Okay. Hebrews 10. Believe my heart, confess with my mouth. Why? Because with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Right? I believe... And real faith is not a faith that's left alone, meaning faith without the product of obedience or the product of work is not real faith. Amen. All the people in the New Testament that are ever going to say, Lord, Lord, all they had was a confession without a real true belief that produced change. That's real faith. Real faith is never alone. Amen. Now. Real faith is also a gift. The Bible says God has given to each man a measure. Faith. Amen. God is absolutely sovereign over everything. And is absolutely sovereign in this story. Right? Now watch this. Verse 2. God gives another command. Watch this. Verse 2 he says. Uh, where the, I lost my place. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals. So in this chapter, what was the first command? Go into the ark, right? And then he says, take with you seven clean animals, seven pairs of clean animals. Let's clarify that, okay? Seven pairs of clean animals. So it was one male, one female, clean animal. One male, one female, clean animal. Seven times, right? Seven pairs 
of clean animal. And then we take one pair of unclean animal. Amen? So what's happening here is all the animals, if you can think of dogs and cats and rabbits and rodents and anything that was on the land, amen, outside of insects and stuff, right? We're understanding the creepy crawlies, the, the snakes and lizards and all this stuff, right? Some amphibians would have been just fine in the floodwaters, so they would not have actually had to go in the boat, okay? A lot of insects and things that could uh, make it through the rainstorm and stuff or just hang on to the outside of the boat did not have to go into the ark, okay? Which is why the number of animals would be lower than some people think because those animals wouldn't have to go in there, right? Now, we have seven pairs of uh, uh, clean animals, one pair of unclean animal, and it gives you a reason in verse 3. Notice the reason that it gives you. I want to finish uh, verse 2. It says, uh, take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, male and female, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. And then it says seven pairs of birds of the heaven also. Notice that it doesn't distinguish the birds as seven unclean and then a pair of or seven clean and then a pair of unclean. It just says seven birds, seven pairs of birds, okay? Now, here's something that I didn't think about when I was doing the study on this. I'm like, why, is, uh, why would the number be so low on, on the animals? First of all, we gotta understand that this is early enough in uh, genetic history that you probably only have a few pairs of dogs, not a whole bunch of breeds of dogs, okay? Dogs hadn't, you know, the earth ain't been around long enough for us to breed that many different kinds of dogs. Like we got all the different little tiny, you know, do you realize that there's dogs today that didn't exist 30 years ago? 40 years ago, 50 years ago, because we've been crossbreeding dogs for so long to make different kinds of dogs. Now notice we never turn a cat into a dog. Why? Because that's biologically impossible because everything re reproduces after its own kind. So we can make all kinds of different kinds of dogs, right? But we never make a dog into a donkey. It's always a dog, right? So, thinking about this, why the animal population could be so little is because there's not as many different kinds of horses. There's not as many different kinds of cows. There's not as many different, you see what I'm saying? No, just vanilla cows. No, but you, you understand what I'm saying. There's not been all this different, and we did the same thing with cows, okay? We've done the same thing with cows for thousands of years, okay? We've crossbred the best kinds of cows to get the best kind of cows that we want, right? You know this. Come on, man. Act like I'm the only one up here with you. Come on. I need help. I need backup, cow. Give me some backup. That's why we have all these different kinds of cows. Why? Because we crossbred them, right? So back then, they hadn't done this as much, so there was limit, more limited stocks of different types of animals, okay? So there was only a few kinds of big cats. There was only a few kinds of, you know, turtles, 
whatever you want to think of. Now, turtles would not necessarily have to go in the ark because they can live in the water. Proven fact, turtles can live in the water. Now, I got off on that little side road. The reason here it says in verse 3, seven pairs of birds of the heaven, also male and female. Notice that everything that went into the ark was male and female, and there was two paired. Even Noah and his wife, Shem and his wife, Ham and his wife, Japheth and his wife. Even the human beings were paired. One male, one female, paired. One male, one female, paired. Amen? Now, it says, and uh, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. So the point of bringing the animals there was so that the animal life would go on after the flood, right? So, God is saying, I'm about to destroy all living things, while at the same time saving these living things. Amen? Is this not a picture of Christ? Because the reality is, everyone stood condemned before Christ, yet Christ on the tree has ransomed those who believe. Amen? Who's in the boat? Those who believe. Just saying. <laughs> Unbelievers aren't in the ark. Believers are in the ark. Amen? Salvation was the same then as it is today. By faith. Amen? Uh, verse 4. In seven days it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Let's go to verse 4. I want to I read this. It says, for after seven more days, this is the New King James, and the King James sounds very for, uh, similar to this. It says, for after seven days, or after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that are on the face of the earth, all living things that I have made. Amen? Now watch this. He's telling him, in seven days, I'm going to start, I'm going to unloose, I'm lo loosen the water. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, remember what I told you about him going into the ark? It took seven days, obviously, for him to get all of the animals into their certain spots on the ark. Because it says that the same day that they went into the ark is when the water came. Okay. So here in verse 4, he's giving them a seven-day warning. But here in a minute, we're going to see that the day they went into the ark is the day the water came. So seven days it took them to load the ark. Okay? Watch this. Uh, verse 5, here's an important, another important verse. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him to do. Do you, you see this again? This is the third time. That we're hearing this said. Noah did all that God commanded him to do. Amen. This is a theme that we need to start developing in our life. Amen. Now we're not all perfect. We're never going to be perfect till we get to heaven. But we need to strive to be doing what Noah here is doing. Everything that God commands us to do. What does God command Christians to do? Go to the New Testament. 
find out what he commands Christians to do, then go do it. <laughs> Amen? That's what we ought to be doing. That's how we ought to be living our life. What does Christ expect of me? What, what does this new life in Christ look like, right? Well, I can give you just a few examples. It looks like loving your neighbor, praying for your enemies, doing good to them that persecute you, right? If somebody slaps you on the one cheek, offering them the other. If someone asks you to go a mile, go two miles, right? Enduring persecution, speaking up for those who, uh, the widow and the orphan, right? Taking up the case of those people. In my case, it's standing up for the, those who can't speak for themselves. The unborn, amen? We got to find what the New Testament tells us to do as Christians, and we need to go do it. And Noah's our example. And Christ is the ultimate example. Who though it was not robbery for him to think himself God, he made himself of no reputation, humbled himself even unto death. Amen. What does a Christian life look like? How are we supposed to act? Jesus said, anyone who comes after me must deny himself. So denying myself is part of the Christian walk. Looking out for others, preferring others before myself. That's the Christian life. Amen. Those are the things that we need to do. But we need to be doing what Noah here is doing. Noah did all that God commanded him to do. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. Now this is very important. Noah's age is what we're going to eventually gauge how long they were on the boat and how long the flood lasted. In chapter 8, verse 13, if you go ahead and flip forward, I want to read this to you so that you see what I'm talking about. At the end of this flood story, we have... Verse 13, it says, And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month of the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah moved, removed the covering of the ark, and looked indeed on the surface of the ground, and it was dry. In the second month of the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry, and Noah God spoke to Noah and told him to leave the ark. But this is important because we know, and we'll get to it in verse 11 of this same chapter, it gives you how old Noah was, what month it was, what day it was when Noah and them entered the ark. Okay? So you can know for a fact that it was one year and so many months or weeks or days that they were in the ark. Okay? But this is important information that, that Moses wrote down here in this story so that we can have a time frame, okay? Uh, verse 6, uh, verse 7, excuse me, verse 7 through 10, Noah acts on his faith in what God said. And I noted that if you look at verse, let's read uh, verse 7 through 10. And Noah and his sons and his wife's, his wife and his son's wives with him went into the ark to escape the flood waters. Now watch this. Of all the clean animals, of all the animals that are not clean, of the birds and everything that creeps upon the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah and uh, as God commanded Noah, and after seven days the water came 
and the flood came upon the earth. Seven days, just exactly when God said it was going to happen, okay? Did you see that the flood and everything leading up to the flood did not even get outside of God's timetable? Although Noah had his free will and his wives and their husbands had their free will, God still worked everything out in its own time. And nothing happened until God said it was going to happen. Period. Okay, now watch this. Verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now watch this. This verse 13 is the most important one. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and their three wives of his sons entered the ark. The rain came on the very same day that they entered the ark. We know that they had a seven-day warning. So, we know they had the seven-day warning, and they had to get all these animals in the boat. On the day it started raining, that's when they finally got in the boat. All the way. That means everything was in there, right? So it took them seven days to load all those animals. Let's just think about it realistically. Have you ever tried to go wrangle lions? Me neither. Have you ever tried to go wrangle tigers? Me neither. I have had to go try to wrangle cows, and they don't listen all the time, okay? So I'm just telling sheep do what they want to. Goats do what they want to, and you got to go get them, okay? So I can see that, you know, some animals may have cooperated, but other animals, they may have had to have coerced into the boat, right? I'm just saying. They didn't, they probably didn't, you know, I know we like thinking that, oh, they all just marched in there two by two, but it says that he brought them in two by two. Noah took them in the ark, right? Plus, we realize just Realistically, we have to separate certain animals and they got to be in their own spot. And I'm sure the birds all were at the top inside, right? Roosting up top, which, you know, uh, nobody probably wanted to walk up there anywhere, you know, either from above or what you're walking on. So uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, there was a lot of different wheels in that cog of getting all those animals on there and it took them seven days from what the story is telling us what we're reading here okay now verse 11 gives us the exact time stamp okay of when it started we know that when Noah was 600 years old in the second month on the 17th day of the month that was the day and then we fast forward to what we read in chapter 8. If you go to the last one that we read in chapter 8, it says that, uh, where is it? Verse, well, we were at 13, but verse 14. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, so he was in the ark one year 
in 10 days because he went in the ark in the second month, right? On the 17th day of the month. And he came out of the ark a year later on the second month, the 27th day of the month. So he was in the ark one year, 10 days, okay? That's a long time to be in the boat with all them animals, okay? <laughs> that was the part that got me. Now, the timestamp was very, it was something I really nerded out on. I'm like, really? A whole year? Now, the part that, the other part that got me was look at this, what it says in verse uh, 11. It says, where did I go? Okay, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, on that day the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were open. Now, we have two different water sources, right? Now, we can all pretty much assume when it says the heavens are open, we all automatically think it's raining, right? Great rain, obviously, if he's saying the heavens are open, I've been in a downpour, right? Like, you ever been in a rain when raindrops look like the size of five-gallon buckets? I mean, the big old raindrops, okay? But the fountain of the deep is something that has, we don't have a, we don't have a natural phenomenon that we can equate this to, okay? There's nothing in nature that we can go, this is what this was. Many postulate that there was a lot of groundwater trapped underground at this time, and the earth was, you know, heating it up, and when God unlocked the fountains of the deep, what happened is that pressurized water started coming up out of the ground. Now, we don't know this for a fact, and we don't have any, we don't have any natural phenomenon, like I said, to, to go back in history, in geology, and say, oh yeah, all around the world, there was this big old layer of water under the ground. No, we don't have that. Now, we do have water tables today, right, where water's underground in certain areas all over, right? There's water tables all over this state, right? Sometimes you'll, uh, you can go out and drill a well. That's what we, when we find groundwater, a lot of times what happens is you're either hitting the water table or you're hitting an underground spring, right? That's how you're getting this water. Uh, but we don't know that that's what's happening here. Could be, maybe, maybe not. Uh, verse 12, once again, God's word to Noah proves to be faithful, raining for 40 days and 40 nights. I want you to look at verse 12. It says, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Isn't that exactly how many days God said it was going to rain for? 40 days and 40 nights. Now, now we, we, we think 40 days and we're just thinking, you know, daytime, but it's 40 24-hour periods. There was day, night and day, and it rained for 20, or 40 days constantly, day and night, okay? That's a lot of rain. Do you remember in 07, in the flood, what was happening was, we had so many days of consistent rainfall. Wasn't it like 20-some days almost that we had nearly consistent rainfall? 
that caused that flood here, okay? And that was just a localized flood. Think about 40 days and 40 nights of rain everywhere. That's a lot of water. <laughs> Amen? That's a lot of water. Verse 14 through 16, loading the animals took uh, uh, two by two and situating them into their pre, uh, perspective spots on the ark took seven days. Again, God commanded him this uh, in verse, uh, let's go read 14 through 16. I want to show you where God again commands Noah another thing, okay? Uh, uh, verse 14. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock of their kind and creeping things according to its kind and every bird according to its kind and every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah two by two all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered the ark, male and female, all flesh, went in just as God had commanded Noah. Now, Noah is obeying God again, right? Again, God... Is Noah is doing just exactly what God commanded him to do. This is a pattern that we need to follow. Now, here's the part for me. God shut him in. That's what the verse says, okay? No matter what version you read it out of, verse 16 ends with, and the Lord shut him in. And now, what, what kind of Bible do you got? NIV? ESV? Yeah, ESV, yeah, it says, and he, the Lord shut them in. We don't know how God done it. We don't know what God did to shut them in. Now, was this a supernatural act of God going, I'm shutting the door? It could be. It almost invariably seems to be because it says the Lord shut them in, okay? Now, it doesn't say Noah shut the door, right? It says the Lord shut them in. Okay, and that word there, when, when we're talking about it, that's Yahweh. It's saying Yahweh shut them in. Okay, if you're reading it in the Hebrew, it's going to say Yahweh shut them in. Okay, it doesn't say Adam or Noah shut the door. It says Yahweh shut them in. So I don't know how this applies other than this. <laughs> Jonah 2 and 9 says that salvation is from the Lord. So God, in his sovereign will, has decreed rain to fall. Rain is falling. God, in his sovereign will, chose Noah to save all these animals and chose Noah and his family to be saved. But even though Noah builds the ark, even though Noah is the one bringing the animals in there, God is still putting his seal of approval on it, saying, I'm saving you, Noah. Amen. And we can't argue with that because had God not told Noah about the rain, Noah would be dead. Had God not told Noah build an ark, Noah would be dead. Amen. And I'm going to jump to a conclusion. If God hadn't shut the door, Noah would be dead. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So we're seeing this. Noah is shut in. The Lord shuts the door. Uh, verse 17, the flood was continuous. I want you to note what verse 17 says. I'm going to read it out of the New King James. And the New King James says, 
uh, bring uh, bring out. Oh, I'm in verse. Eight. I'm in chapter eight still. I turned over there so I could read it. Verse seventeen. Now the flood was on the earth forty days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. Now I want you to note verse eighteen. The waters prevailed greatly, increasing on the earth. The ark was moved about on the surface of the waters. Now the ESV says it this way, and I like how it reads this part in verse 17. It said the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface or the face of the waters. This part that I'm trying to point out to you is that this isn't normal rain. It's saying this water's increasing greatly, okay? It's prevailing. What does prevailing water mean? That means there's rain has been so continuous that the water is just stacking up. It's prevailing. It's increasing, okay? Verse 17 and 18 are giving you that this water is not just like a little bit of rain. It's trying to bring a point across that this is a lot of water and it climaxes in verse 19 and 20 if you read verse 19 and 20 it says uh, the waters prevailed so mightily there's that word again and I believe in the uh, New King James it even says it and the waters prevailed increasingly or exceedingly right so here we're seeing the waters uh, prevailing so mighty on the earth that all of the high mountains over the whole heaven were covered. The, uh, the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Okay? Now, this phrase here and this, these two verses, in my opinion, and in a lot of other scholars' opinion, totally denounces an idea of this just being a localized flood. Okay, there's no way that this can be a localized flood, even if we just consider that Mount Ararat is covered with water 22 feet deep. That means the top of Mount Ararat, which is like 1500 feet tall, is covered another 22 and a half feet with water. Okay, you cannot have. 1,500 feet of water localized. That's not possible. There's no way you can have 1,500 feet of water in the plains of, uh, 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 of the Middle East and there not be water everywhere else on the planet. That is absolutely impossible to have 1,500 feet of water localized, okay? It does not happen. We cannot see that happening anywhere on this planet. If there was 1,500 feet of water above us right now, you can be sure that the rest of this planet is going to have 1,500 feet of water on it. Okay? The reality is, is that this absolutely teaches that the flood was worldwide. There's no other explanation. Scientifically impossible to have 
1,500 feet of water just in the Middle East where there's no barriers to keep that 1,500 feet of water from going anywhere else. That's impossible, okay? So anybody that tries to tell you it's just a local flood are not actually believing science, okay? They're believing what they want to believe, not what actually happened. Uh, verse, uh, where am I at? By the way, that 15 cubits is about 22 and a half feet, okay? Just, just to let you know. Verse 20 says that everything died, all mankind. Now, the King James just says, and every man. But the word man there in that verse 20 in the King James is the word for all mankind, okay? Which is why the ESV uses all mankind. And I'm be interested, I haven't looked what the New King James would use. No, it uses every man as well, okay? Every man. That means all mankind, okay? Not just every man. Because people go, well, that means the women didn't die. No, when they, use, when they use the word man like that, it's all men, all mankind. Amen? All right. Verse 21. Oh, we already done that. Verse 21, everything died, all mankind. Verse 22, everything with the breath of life in it. Notice that it tells you everything died, and then it goes back to explain that everything with the breath of life in it, right? Verse 22 says in the ESV, everything on dry land in whose nostril was the breath of life died. This is important because what we have here is we know that God gave the breath of life to birds and to animals living on the land and to human beings, right? This is what we know from Scripture. This is what we know from the creation when we, when we studied creation and the second day when he created man, right? We learned that the animals, the birds, the land animals, and man have the breath of life, right? And God killed everything that had the breath of life in it. This is an important statement because there's a reason God did that, okay? It doesn't say that corruption had filled the sea. And where did man come from? The ground. When man fell, what got cursed? The ground, right? When Cain committed murder, what was he driven from? The ground, right? So we're seeing a correlation of man and the ground. And anything that was tied to the ground died. And everything that lived on the ground, birds and beasts and humans, had the breath of life in them. So this is the correlation that we're seeing, that the curse has still been applied to man. And God's judging those that the curse fell on. Curses the ground for your sake. Remember that? Right? So God here is judging mankind and the things that were cursed with mankind. Okay? Now, lastly, 
<laughs> God gives and God takes away. This is what I want to get out of here. Watch this. I want you to notice how uh, Moses writes this. He says, uh, verse 23, uh, he blotted out everything or every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, they were blotted out from the earth, right? Now, I want you to go back for a moment. Uh, God gave the breath of life to people, right? And to birds of the air. Uh, when God tells Noah what he's about to do, hold on a minute, I'm going to try to find my note here for this. Oh, right here. Verse 4. He says, For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. Notice that he's tying the ground and these things and the breath of life, right? So when we go back to verse 22, he says, uh, everything on dry land in whose nostril was the breath of life died. What he's saying is exactly what he's quoting in verses 2 and 3 and 4, where God says, everything that I made, that I gave the breath of life to, I'm blotting it out. Amen? This is a theme going back to the fall. We're still seeing the ramifications of the fall, the depravity of man, God sending judgment once again. He judged Adam, and he judged Eve, he judged the serpent, then he judged Cain, right? Later on, he's going to judge the uh, people who built the Tower of Babel, right? And then even after that, we're going to see other judgments throughout Genesis, right? And it all comes back to these things, okay? What is a famine? It is God sending uh, no food, letting, allowing no food to be grown. Why? Because cursed is the ground for your sake. Thorns and thistles will it yield to you by the sweat of your brow, Right? Come on, this is all tied together to the first things of Genesis, okay? To the beginnings, amen? Now, uh, I quoted Job 1 and 21 because God gives life and God takes life away, amen? Everyone, everyone, it's appointed unto man once to die. That means God set a time when every one of us are clocking out, Amen? He gave us life, and if one of these days, he's taking it back. Amen? Uh, verse 23 through 24, uh, quickly, as I'm closing, I just want to read it. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 
150 days. Now, the water's prevailing. What that's telling you is there was so much rain in that 40 days. Anybody remember the, uh, the, the flood in 07, okay? The flood in 07, what happened is it rained all them 24 days, but then it stopped raining. But the waters kept rising, right? So when we read it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, it took 110 days for the water to finally crest. That's what it means that the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. It took 150 days for all that rain and stuff to finally, the water to finally crest to as high as it was going to be. That's what it means by that. Remember I told you that water prevailing and exceedingly increasing was the water building up, right? So when it says that the water prevailed 150 days, that means it just kept rising like floodwaters in a river. Because once what happens is the rain will go onto the plains and the plateaus, right? And then it all runs into the river and that river just keeps going up and up and up and up and up and up and up until it's done, right? So all that water was coming all over the earth and it just kept rising. Because you gotta remember, there was rain coming, but there's also the fountains of the deep that were coming up, right? So we have a prevailing of water for that whole hundred, it took 110 days after it stopped raining for the water to crest and get done. And then it took till the 10th month, it says, until you can see the tops of the mountains. That's a long time. That's a lot of water. Amen? Now, the question for me isn't, where did all the water come from? My question is, where did all the water go? That's my question, okay? Because it's a valid question, right? If, that, if it rained and put that much water on the earth, where did it go? Amen? Now, we can talk about evaporation and polar caps and all the other stuff we can talk about. You know, heat and ozone layers. We're not going to tonight. We're going to close. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that it took 110 days for the water to finally stop rising. Can you imagine being in the boat going, okay, you said 40 days, God. And here it is, 144 days, and the water's still going up. What's going on, right? Isn't that how we do? Isn't that how we act when God says, look, it's going to get, look, Paul, Paul got an angel, came to him and said, look, the ship's going to get wrecked. Most of us would have stopped the angel about mid-sentence and been like, hold on. You, don't you know that the Bible says the promises of God are yes and amen and I ain't supposed to be getting this bad stuff happen to me because I'm a believer? Right? Isn't that how modern day Christians would act? We'd be like, oh no, I rebuke you, devil. That angel that looked at you like this crazy. Because God has a plan. And it's going to work out whether you want it to or not the way God wants it to. Amen? I'm sure Paul wasn't going, yes, the boat's going to wreck. Yes, I'm going to be trapped on a desert island. Yes, I'm going to get bit by a snake. 
The snake did not hurt Paul, but I'm sure Paul didn't just go, oh, I got bit by a snake. It says he shook it off in the fire. You know how I, you know how it would have been if it had bit me? Ah! <laughs> a snake bit me! I'd have been jumping all over the place, screaming like a banshee, okay? Whew. No. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this evening, Lord. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we, Lord, we pray that you would help us to take from this the truth that we find in it, God. That you are faithful, that you brought judgment just like you said you would, God. But you also brought redemption just like you said you would, God. You told Noah, build the ark. You told Noah to bring the animals and you shut them in there. And you were faithful to keep them safe and you protected them in the ark. God, you brought them to dry ground and you let them get out of the boat so that they could fill the earth again and replenish it. And God, I pray that you would help us in our Christian walk. No matter the storm, no matter the, the flood waters that come against us, let us be like Noah and do everything that you command us to do. Let us be faithful in the little things that we have, God. Because we know that you are faithful. Because when you promise, you will deliver. We thank you and praise you. And we ask for your help for us to live our life for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.